Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. Spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. Greetings and welcome to Topically Yours on the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. I'm your host, Deirdre Schuler, And you know, on today's show, I'm going to share the host seat with a Zimbabwean and New Yorker, Shaka Ngenue, who is a former uh, television and radio personality in Zimbabwe and the former founder and host of SAR Radio in New York. Well, as some of you know, President Obama is in New York City attending the United Nations Assembly this week. However, there are some dissenting voices who have gathered in the streets to get their message out about the status of their nation. Well, many Americans and and some of us don't know what's going on in the world because we get brief reports about situations in other countries. And Africa is a continent of 54 countries, so oftentimes we as Americans are unaware of the full scope of these countries' government. Thus, we have today uh, four people that we're going to be on our show that are going to talk about their country, Zimbabwe, and the rule, the 36-year rule, in fact, of their president, Robert Mugambe of Zimbabwe. Uh, when... Uh, Mgambe overcame the conservative white minority government under Ian Smith. He was a champion of the people. And trained as a teacher, he spent 11 years as a political prisoner under Ian Smith's Rhodesian government. And he rose to lead the Zimbabwe African National Union Movement and and was one of the key negotiators in the 1979 Lancaster House Agreement which led to the creation of the fully democratic Zimbabwe. He was elected prime minister and later president, and he embraced conciliation with the country's white minority, but sidelined his rivals through politics and force. Beginning in 2000, he encouraged the takeover of white-owned commercial farms, which eventually led to to economic collapse and a runaway inflation. Anyway, after a disputed election in 2009, Ngambe reluctantly agreed to share some power with the rival movement of democratic change. Anyway, as I understood it, events slid downward thereafter. But as I said, I have four guests today who know more about the situation than I am. So Shaka and I have invited them today, that is Dr. Patson, and now I've Please forgive me if I pronounce the names incorrectly. <laughs> uh, 
And then maybe you should tell, um, mention who they are, uh, Shaka, so that I don't embarrass <laughs> myself. Yeah, I'm not very sure if um, everybody was able to, to, to join us, but uh, we're supposed to be joined by uh, uh, Dr. Patson Zamara, uh, Pastor Ivan Mawarire, uh, Dr. Uh, Noah Manyika, uh, and uh, Savannah Madamombe, uh, who is one of the organizers of the protest that has been happening in New York. Well, we have two of the guests. I'd like them to identify themselves because I only can mm. see them by their phone numbers. Yeah, this is Dr. Noah Manika, and it's wonderful to be on the show. Thank you. And the other? Hi, this is Savannah Maramombe, and thank you so much for inviting us. Oh, we're, it's our pleasure. All right, well, we have the two of you. We don't have uh, Patson yet. Is he expected to call in, Shaka, or...? Or yes, you know. he's, he, yeah, he's expected to call in. But uh, those and we don't have Noah represent... yet, I guess. Yeah. No, Noah, I'm here. Noah is here. Noah Manika is here. Oh, Noah Manika is here. Yes. Oh, so we don't have Pastor Evan Wari? Pastor Ivan, yeah, Pastor Ivan and uh, Patson. Those are the two that are only here. Okay. Well, let's go on. Let's go ahead with who we do have. Yes. So uh, I don't know who would like to say first, but could... For those that are ignorant of what goes on in Zimbabwe, could uh, one of our guests tell us the the uh, the, the background of, of President Robert Mugabe, who he is and who he was, and how he came to power? Well, this is Dr. Norman Yika. I think that you, you you actually um, covered it well in your introduction. He was a um, you know, a, a typical uh, Zimbabwean, uh, born in the 20s and uh, uh, went to school uh, under segregation, but managed to end up uh, becoming a teacher. And um, in those conditions, obviously, uh, you, you can imagine you were only allowed to teach in the African educational system, which was this, uh, kind of a second-rate educational system provided by the colonial government. And uh, he ended up joining, as uh, many of his generation did, joining uh, the struggle uh, for uh, for independence. Um, you know, but before he did that, he actually taught in Ghana. And as you know, you know, Ghana was the first African country to get its uh, independence, and really was inspired uh, partly, like many of the nationalists early then were, by Kwame Nkrumah in in Ghana. Then he came back home and, you know, joined uh, the other people in fighting against the Ian Smith government and uh, was one of the leaders who led um, the, the struggle to, to our independence, which happened in 1980. And when he did, uh, like you said earlier in your introduction, uh, he, he surprised everyone by, you know, uh, giving this speech about reconciliation when everybody thought that he was uh, going to go the other way. He actually gave a brilliant speech just before in, in independence of Zimbabwe. But the interesting thing is that there are some other things that Mugabe would say uh, that people never really paid attention to. Uh, people just focused on that, on the, on the great speech, and he became a darling of the West and got a lot of honorary degrees as a result and, um, until uh, the repression the started. And then the whole issue with the dispossession of white farmers and uh, the introduction into our country of instability when it came to property ownership, property rights, you know, that just led to an economic disintegration whose effects we still feel today. Uh, one more thing that I would add is that uh, just so, so you know, 80% of Zimbabwe's skilled workforce is out of the country. We have a huge diaspora. Our population right now is about 15, 14 to 15 million uh, people, and we have about 4 million Zimbabweans out of the country, and, and mm. um, among them is 80% of our skilled workforce. Uh, and that's, that's, that's unbelievable. And, well, you can understand, though, with a, in a country where there's 90% unemployment, though that skilled yes. workforce would actually find uh, a greener pasture there also. So that's, in a nutshell, um, the, uh, the, the background. Uh, it has grown more repressive with time. He has ruled Zimbabwe for 36 years, and uh, it's time for a change. Exactly. Now, in, in my research, I, the word uh, new Zimbabwe kept popping up. And so how do you plan to substantially change the government so it represents the citizenry? And, and what, what economic 
uh, improvements do you plan to make to make the country new? What are you doing that's going to be new? Well, do you want me to take that? Uh, uh, I, I, I will. Uh, Savannah there? Savannah? Um, I'm, I'm right here. I'm on... Um, Okay. So uh, go, go ahead, talk to me, and you can take it on, and I'll I'll jump okay. in later. Okay. Well, so so here is the here is the thing. Um, Zimbabwe does not have a shortage of uh, uh, educated people who have real economy and real business experience. As you can imagine, uh, like I said earlier, that eighty percent of our skilled workforce is out of the country. We have some brilliant Zimbabweans who are running huge organizations, uh, global. Fortune 500 companies and, and all of that, whose skills and experience is not welcome in their own country, which is you know, completely being underutilized. And uh, obviously, uh, and for some reason, I don't know why uh, the government of Zimbabwe is scared of engaging the skills uh, of its own people. Uh, not only are they scared of engaging the skills of its own people, they deny uh, their own people the right to uh, you know, to, to say anything about how the country should be run. So you have this invidious situation where uh, 4 million people are disenfranchised and they cannot go back home and vote, and even though they're citizens of Zimbabwe. And there's so many uh, roadblocks put uh, so that they are not able to vote. They are not able to register. There's so many little regulatory things that are put in their way. So to answer your question, you have to have a political dispensation that actually enables every Zimbabwean to participate in the political and economic um, uh, conversation and in, uh, in, in, in uh, implementing solutions uh, for, for our country. So what Build Zimbabwe, which is the organization that I lead, is focusing on is, yes, we have to have political change in 2018, but you have to come to the table with solutions. So you have to engage all these skilled Zimbabweans and put them in little uh, solution uh, 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 sectors where they can actually figure out what needs to be done with the healthcare system, what needs to be done with rejuvenating our parastatal uh, organizations, what needs to be done to um, uh, restore what was once one of the best uh, commuter uh, services in, in Zimbabwe, which was destroyed by our government. You know, how do you, how do you uh, rejuvenate our energy sector and, and, and things like that? And then you also have to have the right people, 21st century thinkers, running our economy in such a way that we are actually connected to the global economy. That's very, very critical. And I would say lastly, um, you know, at the end of the day, this is also about uh, the pocket economy. In other words, things which affect people on a day-to-day -day basis, the, the meeting of their needs uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. The profit economy, in other words, how companies and um, uh, commercial enterprises are given the space to actually do the things that they do. And all of that feeds into the public economy, which is what the government manages. So you have to have the right people with the right structures and solutions to create an environment where the pocket economy, the private economy, and the public economy can actually thrive. Um, and that's, that's what we are uh, committed to doing. Uh, the one thing that stands in the way right now are the regulations that actually uh, create, make it difficult for the, the political parties to have a level playing field and compete uh, so that they can put the right people in place. Well, that, that plays on my, my next question. Uh, since you have ethnic and religious, various ethnic and religious groups, as every country does, do, are the groups effectively blending their various cultures to represent a co cohesive population? I mean, because you know how that goes, that people start saying, we mm -hmm. want this, we want that, based on our mindsets and our religions. So are the people of all the ethnic groups there uh, set on, on changing the government and, and moving forward as a cohesive group? Well, I would just say this and let uh, Savannah uh, jump in as well. Uh, the, the thing about, about this is that we have all uh, felt the pain of misrule and misgovernment in Zimbabwe. doesn't matter what religion you are. doesn't matter what um, uh, you know, ethnic uh, group you belong to. We have all felt the effects of 95% unemployment. We have all felt 
the effects of uh, one of the worst uh, corruption rankings of any country. Uh, we've all felt the effects of the one of the lowest uh, human development indices um, uh, in the world. So the issue, you, you know, what unites people, you, people are united by things that they're going through. And Zimbabweans are with one voice, really, uh, except for those who benefit from the patronage system uh, of our government. But otherwise, everybody else is saying we need change. And uh, some are afraid to come out and say it. Uh, some are in the military services and everything. But I can assure you the policemen are also having problems actually paying the school fees for their children, as are the soldiers who are not getting paid by the government, as are our representatives overseas, like our diplomats, uh, even here in New York and in Washington, D.C., with telephones are cut off, with salaries are coming on time. We have to take their kids out of school because the government is not paying uh, uh, the tuition. So what I would say is we are united uh, as a people by the misrule and the pain and all these experiences that we're going through as a nation. Okay, that that I could understand. And that's Savannah, I want to ask you a question since you have organized this protest that is presently uh, happening in New York City. But are you organizing uh, protests uh, in the cities across uh, Zimbabwe? And what about the military? Because you need the military if, if you're going to make serious change. Um, are they aboard, on board, uh, or are they still behind Mugabe? And I asked that oh, question so, to Savannah. So um, here's the thing. We we are not uh, on the ground. We are in North America, and we are not organizing um, protests in Zimbabwe. We are part of a group that um, organized the New York City demonstration. And, um, um, I mean, right now, People in Zimbabwe are not, are not looking to um, have a military coup or anything that involves uh, the military killing of people. Um, uh, the consensus that I'm getting from people is that they want uh, something very peaceful. Uh, they just mm-hmm. want, um, they do not want to involve their brothers and sisters being killed because that's what happens when you involve the military. And we know sure. how it has happened with that story in Africa. There's history in Africa of um, involving the military in any transition um, of a government. So that's not what we are looking for, and that's not what we were interested in. We are, um, as we organize the, the demonstrations here in New York City, and I, I, I may add that um, this is the first time that Zimbabweans have stood up to actually stand up and not be afraid to, to, to say it. And we still have a lot of people that are still afraid, but they are voicing okay. behind the scenes, right? So um, we, this is the beginning. And um, in Zimbabwe, it has been going on for a while. And, you know, but because the government has decided to shut people down by, by coming down on them very hard, by beating up people, you know, imprisoning people, uh, everyday people are being imprisoned, people are being abducted, uh, people are disappearing, uh, or they just get picked up for for the entire day, and, and they show up beaten up to pulp. It's just crazy what is going on. So um, the government also uh, has banned protests in, in, in the city of Harare. So this is where we are saying, okay, just because this cannot happen in Zimbabwe doesn't mean we, the people that are outside Zimbabwe, cannot carry the, the torch from them. We are saying, okay, we can do it here. No one, they can stop us from here. So we will do the demonstrations outside Zimbabwe for the people inside Zimbabwe. But what we are you hoping that the them. UN will do? You're protesting now that the UN is in session. But what are you hoping that will uh, come from the protests? So, you know, um, as you know, um, people, uh, a country can only be liberated by its own people. Um, Doing it during the UN session is because it is is the only time that Mugabe comes and speaks at a platform where he has all these international leaders or all these leaders. And um, that's the only time that he gets his... uh, so to speak, 15 minutes of fame where he just talks and 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 and, and screws and, and and I mean we <laughs> accuses everybody of everything and anything, right? 
So we, we, we have had that before when we've been listening to him for a long time. Now we, are say, we were saying that we would like for the entire world to realize that there is, things are not okay in Zimbabwe. Because every time he went on, on stage and he's talking, he's saying, what do you mean there's, there's no peace in my country? Because there's no one speaking out. There's no one standing up. Everything seems okay in Zimbabwe because we are not standing up. And people don't understand why we are not standing up because people are afraid. So, so do you think the world has the wrong impression of, 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 of Mr. or President Mgabe because no one's standing up so everyone thinks everything's fine? The world thinks everything's if, fine? If, if no one is speaking out, um, it's more so if, if we're speaking in Zimbabwe and Mugabe controls the media in Zimbabwe and what comes out of Zimbabwe, um, chances are that the world is not going to know what's happening inside Zimbabwe. A lot of people have been speaking, have been trying to get the information out, but it hasn't been able to come out in such, uh, in such a way that it has now because of, of obviously because of uh, social media. Um, Mugabe has lost control of control, you know, propaganda. So now as things are happening in Zimbabwe, the pictures are coming out, the, the, the news is coming out, people are are, are tweeting, they are, they are, you know, they are they're using live feeds from Facebook, and, they, and we can see things as they are happening in Zimbabwe, so there's no more hiding. So, which is the same thing that we did when we did our protest, we used the same social media to, 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 to communicate to everybody else, the other Zimbabweans. So it, it turned out that uh, instead of having 20 people here demonstrating in New York City, we had thousands of people participating through social media. That's the power we had with social media. And social media is a wonderful thing now that the, it gives the people a chance to talk. But yes. I've been hogging. I have other questions, but I'm going to step aside now and let my co-host ask his questions and get involved. So, Shaka, you've got the, you got the field. You thank you and uh, Deidre, thank you to thank you for allowing me to you know come on radio. I haven't been on radio for a hundred years now, uh, but mm-hmm. thank you for this opportunity. Um, I wanted to say uh, to Savannah, Savannah, uh, we were watching on Facebook, we were watching, and um, you know when you were doing your protests, and uh, we saw that the, you were antagonists, you know, and uh, some of our brothers. Uh, uh, and sisters, I didn't see any sisters from um, from Harlem from the December 12th uh, movement, where saying Mugabe is right. Uh, you know, can you give us, you know, the scenario how it was and how confrontational it was? You know, do you think that they felt like you were brothers and, uh, and sisters, and uh, you could disagree on things but still be on the same page? How was that? Okay, so. Um... Well, um, any romantic um, thoughts I had of maybe um, being able to talk with the guys from December 12th movement, I kept telling people, no, 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 guys, uh, our brothers uh, misunderstand. They, they don't have the picture. We, we, we probably can talk to them and make them understand. But as soon as I walked over there, um, my, my, my romance with that, uh, quickly vanished because uh, I got surrounded by a group of them and, and they they were just trying to intimidate me and one of the guys from the embassy uh, was videotaping this while they they surrounding me and they were right in my face so I ended up having to push one of them to get to get away and, and they were pushing back and, and you know just intimidating me because I was by myself at that point I was the first person to get there so they were hoping that they would intimidate me and I'll leave and then you know they were just uh, shouting, screaming, and all those kind of things. But um, I, it, it's really kind of um, a, a situation where I feel that our brothers from December 12th movement are still in the era that has gone by, and they're still holding on to that. And uh, at the end of the day, there is there is. Um, there is there are things that they do not understand because they do not communicate with the people. They communicate with the government. So the government uh, that has allowed them to own farms, that has given them farms. So 
for them they're forever grateful. If you if you if you're an African American and you you really longed to to be in touch with your roots, which I feel is part of of, of the reason why. And there you are, you 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 get that here. You meet one of your heroes, who is uh, Robert Mugabe, who liberated uh, uh, blacks from whites, and then he gives you a farm. Who do you, what do you expect from people like that? But what they don't understand is that as much as they own a farm, I and many other Zimbabweans do not own an inch of land in Zimbabwe. Most of the land is owned by a few elites. So it was grabbed from the few 5% of white people and is in the hands of 4% of black elite people. So how, how is that equation ever going to work? This is where you find now people are at a point where they are, they, they've been very patient, thinking things are going to change. And even if there were a few people who have, were given the land, they were given land uh, without any means of utilizing that land. So the, the, they can, you can just hand over a farm that produced uh, tons and tons of, of, of produce and then ex- expect someone to just produce things. That doesn't happen. So that, those are issues that we're finding. And this guy who owns this farm, uh, who was given this farm, is, is, is actually has a criminal background here in the U.S. And this is a, this is a, this is the guy that the government is. So it, that, that's a mercenary. That's as far because he, his background has uh, fire. You know, he uses firearms as criminals. Uh, uh, charges that he has. So is he a mercenary for the government? That makes us real nervous when he confronts me like that so aggressively. That's really, really a, a cause for concern. Do, do, does the American government know that one of their citizens is spying for the Zimbabwean government? Because that's what it looks like to me as a citizen of Zimbabwe. Wow. And, and one of the things, you know, if I'm not mistaken, um, the you know the people who you know from the December 12th on the Pan African uh, movements that were uh, demonstrating against you uh, sounded like uh, they feel like uh, the opposition in terms of people like uh, Dr. Manika, uh, Dr. Patson Damara, you know, uh, Pastor Ivan Mawarire, uh, whatever they are doing, uh, protesting against the government of Zimbabwe, they are funded by the West. What would you say about that? Are you funded by the West, even in your protest and these demonstrations? Um, so it, it, it's it's pretty um, it, 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 it's, it's ridiculous that we are funded by the West. As we know, the the, the U.S. government. How would I even get to the U.S. government to fund our demonstration? I don't even, I don't even know ways of doing that, of reaching to anyone in in the U.S. government to say we we have these little demonstrations that we want to do in, in Zimbabwe, and they would um, authorize money for us to be funded. So I don't really understand um, that. But I do know they were funded by the Zimbabwean government. That was very clear because the Zimbabwean government sponsored them. They bought everything that they had. They were even hosted in the embassy. While we were not allowed, we were standing right outside, and the embassy people would come and talk to these people, get them inside to eat their lunch and all those things. So they were clearly being funded by them, but we, we did not. And I can tell you we were not funded by anybody because this is, this is a movement by us people. It's just a group of us uh, Zimbabweans who, who are really frustrated. I might not be in Zimbabwe right now, but I'm frustrated because every day we get the phone calls when uh, someone is sick and there's no money to take them to the hospital because our hospitals demand cash. There's no, um, there's no longer any, even, even for my parents who retired and they had um, a, a health insurance, and it, it, which we pay for, but it, it's not accepted anyway. So, which means each time they, they, they are not well, we have to send some cash into Zimbabwe. So we, we feel the pain. We feel the pain for every day with everyday things that are happening. So, yes, maybe we are the, the West that's funding our people in Zimbabwe. Yeah, in, in that sense, yes, we are. But as, as in any government giving us money, I think that's just uh, the same story we have had Robert Mugabe repeat over and over. And at some point back in the day, we also used to believe that 
because we were told it was told to us so convincingly and over and over, and we were afraid to ask the questions. But now that we see the corruption that they have, and they keep talking about these sanctions, and we are saying, what? but what? the sanctions have nothing to do with the greediness that we are seeing. The sanctions have nothing to do with the 50-bedroom house that uh, uh, Kasukuere, the minister, has built. What has that got to do with that? If we have sanctions, how is it that they, they can find the money to do that when they can find money to pay the teachers, uh, the doctors, uh, the nurses, and, and, and all the civil servants? But they do find money to do the things that are important to, me, to them. Hmm. And, you know, as I was following, you know, uh, the protests and I, I, you know, you had that Dr. Thomas Mafumo, uh, you know, a world-renowned musician who was also who was also with you at the protest. And he mentioned something that I wanted to check with you also. He says that the president of uh, Zimbabwe has 13 farms and um, there's a lot of uh, uh, his ministers who owns, you know, you know, amazing, you know, houses, uh, you know, all these cars and all sorts of things and money abroad, you know. Is it something that is real? Is it something that is, you know, you know, that you know to be truth, truthful? Of course it's real. Every Zimbabwe knows it's real. We all know because all these ministers talk about it. Kasukure's house, everybody knows where Kasukure's house is because our, our, our Zimbabwe is not that big, right? We, we all know where Grace Mugabe's house is, the red, the red Roof house. Everybody knows whose house it is because they're neighbors to, to, some, to some of our neighbors, our, our, our brothers and sisters or our, our, our family, right? Everybody knows that it's true that the vice president was building a one point something million house and, and, and the wife did not like it because it wasn't up to her standard and they, they, were, they were living in a hotel for two years. Who does that? One of the most expensive hotels and using taxpayers' money to pay um, the, the bill for them living in a hotel as a house for two years. That's just ridiculous. That has nothing to do with sanctions. That has nothing to do with um, the West uh, trying to get Mugabe out. That's just a, a, a greedy or a, a government that does not think, or I, 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 I can't even comprehend, comprehend and say why would anyone think that they can actually take money from, from the coffers of the government to pay for themselves for two years staying in a hotel? Mm. Could I step in for one second? Uh, sure, in? sure. Yeah, sure, uh, Deirdre. Thank you so much. You... you your natural resources are, are gold and nickel and copper and coal and so are, is there a lot of mining going on and also when when the white chased out because they were running mostly the agriculture and, and the farming industry were the farms turned over to to Zimbabwean citizens or what happened? Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna speak a little bit on it and then I'm, we're gonna give, I'm gonna jump on and let Dr. Manika speak as well, right, on this one. So. Right. Um, as far as uh, the natural resources we have, we have everything, including the diamonds. We have uh, gold. We have everything, right? Uh, recently, not not even two weeks ago, one of the biggest um, mine that we grew up uh, knowing, Visco Steel, was shut down. That just means tons. The last jobs that were in Zimbabwe were, were shut down. When I was growing up as a girl, the, the funny thing is that I grew up on, on, on these different mines that were owned by Rio Tinto, right, on Tinto Mines. That's where I went to school. I went to, to school at, uh, in Kadoma at Rio Tinto. So I, I, I know exactly what it was like growing up on these mines. Um, and because my father used to, was a headmaster, so when, these, when Rio Tinto opened a, a mine, um, they opened a school as well for the employees that worked there. So my, my father was the guy who was responsible for opening all of these schools for Rio Tinto mines. So when I went home last and I, I wanted to go back where one of the last mines that we, we lived at, which was called Zinka Mine because it used to, uh, it, it had zinc and they called it Zinka Mine. I went there to to just go down my memory lane. I just found a, a, a huge forest. There was nothing left. 
This was a thriving mine with with schools, hospitals, everything, beautiful houses, and, and everything was shut down. I couldn't believe even the house that I grew up on, and it was a huge, beautiful house. It was it was not not even one brick was was left. That's that's the history of every place in Zimbabwe right now. It's ruined and shut down. That's that's what I can tell you. With the farms, I can tell you that a lot of the farms were taken. If it was a good farm, which was viable, it's owned either by the government, one of the government ministers, or his family, or his brothers, or someone who has a connection with them. As for the rest of the people, a bit of land was distributed to them, but in places where they would take a commercial farm, split it up into little, little pieces of land where people with no production, no money, nothing invested in making sure that they reproduce. So people are just sitting on these huge farms. They, 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 we do have a few you know, success stories because I do have an uncle who has a huge, beautiful farm. He just passed away, but he's, he, he, he actually had one of the farms. And it's one of the success stories that you can talk about, but that's not many of those that are there. And Dr. Manika can tell you. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things, Jedra, that uh, is really interesting, you know, actually, if you follow um, uh, a lot of uh, countries that are in economic dire straits, it's not necessarily because they do not have natural resources. It's how those resources are managed. Uh, and okay. in fact, there is this idea uh, that resources can even be a curse uh, if you actually do not have the right kind of governance because then there is so much opportunity for, for people to be doing these backdoor deals and, uh, you know, they're offered huge amounts of money by international conglomerates and, and what you find is just um, the people coming in from outside the country who pay off government ministers and all the officials, and they just plunder the resources of, of, the, of the land. Well, that's, that's been the story uh, of, of Zimbabwe since our independence. And um, it's actually quite curious that uh, before our independence, a lot of these mines uh, which were operated by uh, global mining uh, organizations actually provided employment. And as Savannah was mentioning, built uh, schools uh, for, for, for uh, people and, uh, you, know, you know, so we provided means of livelihood. And then come uh, our own government and uh, what you saw, the, the running down of these mines and the creation of conditions where some of these businesses, these mining enterprises couldn't function. And, um, and then you had the plunder, the, the, the side deals and so on. In one of the cases, uh, there was a huge uh, find of alluvial diamonds in Zimbabwe um, about a decade ago, and um, everybody, including the government, was saying, you know, our, our problems are now over because we have discovered a huge amounts of diamonds, and they were very easy to mine. Uh, and then they brought in the Chinese, and they brought in, uh, and, and the, the people who actually started those companies was the army and the police and all the, 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 the big people in the government, and um, those diamonds became... Uh, a source of incredible wealth for them, and a lot of it was spirited out of the country. And uh, so mm-hmm. I, I say that to say, and, and it, it's not just in the mining sector, in, in, in the farming sector as well, the distribution of farms to cronies who, had, who knew nothing about uh, uh, agriculture, and, and then even to landless uh, people who were given farms uh, which were going commercial concerns um, and, and they, they didn't really have the resources to run those farms. Um, it had tragic consequences for our economy. Um, so at the end of the day, you can be well endowed with natural resources. If you do not have the right kind of governance, those resources are not going to do you any good. Some of the worst uh, countries in the world in terms of, uh, uh, you know, just quality of life. Uh, you look, look at the Congo, for instance, uh, to be called Zaire, one of the richest, wealthiest countries uh, in terms of natural resources and also one of the poorest right now. So resources are not always the answer. It's how you manage those resources. And then you go to a country like Israel, 
Here is a country which is 65% desert, has no natural resources to talk about, which today exports food and is one of the places with the highest concentration of uh, startups in the world. Uh, that's incredible, uh, you know, incredible research economy and all of that. So that's really where we want to get our country, you know, have the right people governing the country, have the right governance structures, have people with actual business experience actually doing the things mm. that they need to do for our country. We'll build it. Well, now we're we're halfway through the show, and uh, the other two guests have not come yet, so I'm going to give you guys a break for a moment and do uh, play a, play one of your, your country songs, and then I'll come yes. back and Shaka can take over from there. So here we go. I'm going to play one of your tribal drum songs. African Americans back to their ancient her- heritage. I was moving to the beat in my seat, and uh, we're back. That's awesome. And this is the Blake Radio Network Rainbow Soul, and my host today, my co-host today is Shaka Ngenwe. And take over, Shaka. Well, maybe Shaka's disappeared. Are you there, Shaka? Okay, well, I guess he's not there, so I'll go on with my question. Um, let me see. What should I ask now? Well, I know what you you served on several mm-hmm. boards. You talk about affordable housing. Mm-hmm. What uh, Savannah was saying, a lot of the housing has been destroyed. So, what is happening now? Are are, are is there a project? to rebuild housing. I know the affordable housing you were talking about was basically uh, in, in uh, North Carolina. But what yeah, about I'm in sorry. Zimbabwe? Yeah, I'm, so, yeah I, I'm sorry. Well, uh, it, 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 it did. Uh, I think that uh, Shaka is back. But anyway, it, 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 here's the issue. Um, basically what has happened uh, um, uh, in our country is that the economic meltdown in our country because of the mismanagement of the ZANU-PF government has affected every area of our lives. The ability of people to uh, purchase land and build their own houses. And this used to be the dreams of Zimbabweans. Zimbabweans are very hardworking people. And what Zimbabweans would do is you buy a piece of land. And after you buy the piece of land, you draw up the plans and then you start building. And, you know, you... You finish one room and you move your entire family into that one room and you finish the rest of the house. And, and a lot of people would build these houses and uh, the houses would be paid off. So you have an asset uh, right there uh, which really anchors your, your financial stability. Well, as you can imagine, um, in order for you to, to, to actually be able to have shelter, you have to have a job you know, to actually be, be, be either purchase a piece of land or purchase a house. And right now, you can imagine with 90% unemployment what that, that, that has done. And then uh, we've had instances where the government has gone in and, um, they, they, you know, they, they, because people end up resorting to, you know, even just building illegal structures because, you know, they're desperate. 
and then the government coming in there and he just bulldozes uh, these the, the structures and, 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 and things like that. So there's a lot of insensitivity when it, when it comes to that. We can't even talk about affordable housing in Zimbabwe, you know, because basically, uh, you know, people have serious problems finding shelter because they don't have, they don't wow. have jobs. The, the interesting thing, Gedra, is that if you go to Zimbabwe today and you go to some of the upmarket uh, communities, you'll be astonished at how some people live. Uh, Savannah made reference to this. We have a government minister who was building a 50-roomed house. I mean, what do you need 50 rooms for? And where do you exactly. get that kind of money to build that kind of structure in an economy that is as dysfunctional as ours. I mean, where really nothing is working, um, you know. So there's a, there's a, there's a lot, there are a lot of inequities in our country, uh, and a lot of the people who are enjoying the patronage of the Zanu-PF government, they live like kings, uh, and everybody else um, really suffers. So, yeah, you, we can't even talk about affording, affordable housing. We're just talking about, you know, people need jobs to even afford shelter uh, right now. I guess that was a hmm. foolish question in terms of affordable housing <laughs> if you don't have housing at all. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, that's the challenge, you know, the, the challenge. And, and you know what we want to do in Zimbabwe? I was in Ethiopia for um, twice this year, and I was seeing what uh, the government of Ethiopia has done, and, and a lot of people don't even realize that, uh, you know, it is one of the highest growth rates right now in Africa. Uh, and this is the place, you know, the same country we used to watch on television with all the starving children and so on. And 80% of um, uh, Addis Ababa used to be slums at one time. But now what they have done is they have mobilized resources, and these are internal resources, They've mobilized resources, and they are building apartments for some of the slum dwellers. And they have an incredible, incredible arrangement where the government pays 60% uh, of, the, of, of the mortgage and uh, the, these guys come in and they pay, uh, you know, depending on what their actual financial status is, it's, it's a graded uh, uh, kind of uh, arrangement. So they, they pay very little to actually end up owning the house. And they are so flexible, mm. the government is so flexible that it actually allows these people to actually rent these houses uh, so that they can meet their mortgage, uh, so they can find some other place to go and live and actually rent that so that they, they can pay down their mortgage from whoever is in their apartment. They're just not allowed to sell it. So that housing project is something that we as Build Zimbabwe has actually looked at and want to actually benchmark that. And, you know, in Zimbabwe, at some point, we want to be able to um, implement that kind of housing project. How okay. about something like Housing for Humanity? Would that yes. be a good project there? Oh yeah, Habitat for Humanity. Would Habitat be, it, for Humanity. Yes. Oh yeah, it'll be it'll be great. And, and you see, these are, now here's Gedra. This is the tragedy of Zimbabwe. This is the untold story, right? The untold story is that uh, the president of Zimbabwe and his party are so afraid uh, of of their own citizens and and other NGOs who could actually come in there and help us. But they don't allow a lot of the NGOs to come in there and actually meet the needs of the Zimbabweans. So right now, for instance, if Habitat for Humanity were to say want to go to Zimbabwe to help, they would not be given a permit, a permit to do it uh, because they're always thinking that whoever comes to help the people uh, conscientizes the people is, and, and, and then they are going to be voted out of power. So they are so hostile to non-governmental organizations. Non-governmental organizations are what we would call charities here. Uh, so the 501c3 organizations that go out into the communities, and I work with a lot of them in North Carolina. You know, um, a lot of the needs of poor people are met by the efforts of non-governmental organizations, uh, you know, working with, with, with the communities. And we have a lot of them wanting to go to Zimbabwe to help, but the Zimbabwean government will not allow them to come in. Mm. Wow, well, that's a okay, shame. Uh, okay, Shaka, you're, you're back. Yeah, yeah, and we've got about 12 minutes, and I'm going to ask you, uh, Savannah and Dr. Manyaga, to be as brief as you can. But the first question that I wanted to ask you is uh, the government keeps saying, uh, or they say that uh, sanctions are the root uh, problem for what is happening in the country. And then on the other side, you are saying that most of the government ministers and uh, the government officials they are building mansions and they have farms and uh, even the president is said to have 13 farms 
you know how, how you know is there a hypocrisy there or is that not true what is happening exactly there and well uh, dr manika look look the uh, shaka any time that there is a political or economic meltdown and and people start uh, you know uh, complaining governments will always find a scapegoat what have sanctions levied by the international community on, and right now they're just on President Mugabe right now and his, and his, and his family, right? Uh, most of them have been rolled back. What has that got to do with allowing Zimbabweans to vote who are in the diaspora? What has that got to do with the repression when Zimbabweans are out there exercising their constitutional right to protest? What has that got to do with sanctions? What, is it, what has that got to do with, uh, okay, the minister was building a 50 million. How did sanctions cause that? You know, so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the people of Zimbabwe are asking the Zimbabwean government to control what it can control. And uh, if you do that, if you take care of the things that you uh, can control, then you take away uh, from the Zimbabwean people their, their right to, to say anything because at least you're doing the right thing. You're allowing people to protest. You're allowing people to participate fairly in the electoral process. Uh, you're not stealing money uh, like we have seen, and uh, you know, you're actually sensitive about the needs of, of the people. The sanctions have nothing to do with that. I mean, how did sanctions cause the, them to spill away $15 billion from our national economy? Well, uh, where, 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 where do you blame, how do you, how do you blame sanctions for that? So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's something that they always say, but it, it's ridiculous. Four million Zimbabweans in the diaspora savannah. Um, uh, are they going to be allowed to vote in Zimbabwe? Uh, is dual citizenship something that's going to be implemented to help Zimbabwe? And uh, the last question, you know, you can answer it whichever way you want. Do they want to go back to Zimbabwe? Do they want to go back home? Um, sorry, four million people out of Zimbabwe, do they want to go back to Zimbabwe? Every single, every single one of them that I've spoken to uh, would like to. And if they have expressed that they don't want to, it's because they are very disillusioned and they are not... Um, right now thinking that if they go back home, they'll be able to function in a normal society. But if um, every, everything was okay in Zimbabwe, I, I, I've not spoken to any one of them who does not want to go back home. And what was your other question? The voting. You know, we, uh, have you been allowed to vote? You know, can you vote from outside the country or do you have to go no, back home? You Are you allowed to you can't vote from outside the country. You have to go to Zimbabwe to vote. Um, and not everybody is, 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 can afford to go to vote when the elections come. And even then, uh, there's a process. There's a, there's a process that people don't really understand when it comes to voting. You, you just don't go back to Zimbabwe and automatically you are there. You are voting. Most of these people who were out, out here who are Zimbabweans who left Oh, hold on, sorry. Uh, these are these are these are people who lived in Zimbabwe, and they had not voted for the first time. They they're not registered, so it's a process. They have to get registered to be to to, to vote in Zimbabwe. Mm. How, how how do we even do that when over here and the government is not willing to work with the people? Okay. So, so is this a dictatorship masquerading as a democracy? Absolutely, absolutely, because there's nothing according to the systems that we have that is uh, for the people. Everything seems to be blocking people from being able to do things that they want to do. Uh, if it's a democracy, then why, why is it that uh, the will of the people is not being listened to? Right now, is a huge problem. If, if, even if it was um, 45% of the people saying, we want, to, we want change, why is it that we're not being listened to? Even if it was 20% of the people, why is it that the government is not even taking time, a little time, to listen to the people? Mm. Wow. Dr. Manyika? Yes. Uh, we, we've heard about uh, hashtag uh, this flag, hashtag uh, Tajamuka, 
Hashtag, uh, don't minimize my rights. Hashtag, uh, this gown. And then uh, hashtag, this uh, build Zimbabwe. Can you tell us about uh, hashtag build Zimbabwe? Is this, and I understand you are the convener. You know, do you have uh, a vision? Do you have uh, a strategy for Zimbabwe? Uh, what, what, you know, what, what do you hope to achieve? Well, Build Zimbabwe is um, a, an organization that is committed to bringing about uh, political change in 2018 and also to making sure that we can build the country thereafter. Uh, one of the things that happens a lot of times in African uh, countries is that uh, governments are, are replaced, but there is no plan for what comes after that. And uh, what we have decided is that we are going to accomplish an unprecedented mobilization of Zimbabweans and friends of Zimbabweans everywhere, not just mobilization, but engagement of Zimbabweans and friends of Zimbabwe everywhere uh, to bring about the political change, but also to come up with solutions uh, that can actually be applied. And one of the, uh, of the partners that we have is Build Zimbabwe. It's called Zimbabwe Economic Society, uh, because we also want these private sector-driven uh, solutions uh, for our country. Here's what I say. Zimbabwe does not need an economic development plan, as it were. What Zimbabwe needs is a business plan. It needs, uh, you know, for people to actually be held accountable to actually producing value and results. And you and I know that, uh, you know, to run a business plan, you need competent people. So Zimbabwe needs competent, skilled uh, leaders. And we can tap into this whole community of Zimbabweans uh, everywhere uh, to find the competent leaders that we actually need to run a very, very effective government and a very effective and uh, productive economy. And uh, so that's what we're doing. We're going around uh, engaging people and saying, hey, listen, be part of actually constructing the solution. And beyond that, you know, we actually also want to invite you to be part of really implementing uh, the solution in a new in, in a new Zimbabwe. So yeah, we're very very excited about the response of the Zimbabwean community, and we also need as much support. Uh, by the way, you were asking that the, you know the Zimbabwean government is always saying you're foreign sponsored and everything uh, to to people who actually want to make a difference in our own country. And then the same government goes around uh, the finance minister with a begging bowl asking the World Bank to give the money. Uh, that is also called foreign sponsorship, by the way. Uh, so um, we want uh, all the people who are sympathetic to our cause, Zimbabweans and non-Zimbabweans, who really be, want to see our country rebuilt, to participate in this process. So that's what we're doing at Build Zimbabwe. Uh, Savannah, how do we get in touch with you if somebody wanted to talk to you more about what you're doing, uh, mobilizing people for Zimbabwe? How do we get in touch with you? And uh, Dr. Manyika, how do we get in touch with you also? Uh, my, my number is 917 
And you certainly represented well the other two guests that were unable to make it, um, uh, Patson and, and and the and the and the pastor Evan. Yeah, um, yeah Pastor yeah. Ivan Mawaire. So, yes, yeah. leg. Thank you. Well, and, thank you so much thank for you the opportunity. so much, Shaka, for being my guest. No, oh, thank guest you host. for allowing me my, to. My uh, guest host. Right. So um, this is the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul, and I want to thank again my guest today and my listening audience for making my topic topically yours. And we're now we're going to sign off again with some tribal music from Zimbabwe. Again, I thank all that came to help and bring information about this show today. Oh, Savannah's back. She can say goodbye. Savannah, nice to talk with you. And here we go. Listening to the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul.